and not to spend time in enumerating in the enumeration of the particulars uh, where the truth is obvious. There is nothing that is and takes place but has been made and stands by him and through him. <clears throat> the Father, I love this, the Father is as the fountain of existence and the Son is the life which flows from that fountain and by which all creatures have their principle of life and their preservation in it. Now, that's just strong. This is your great-great-great-great-grandfather in the faith. And he's saying, here, just think of it like this. Just think of, think of in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the eternal dance of the Trinity. Think of God the Father like a fountain. And think of Jesus as the water that flows from that fountain continuously and continuously sustains and gives life to every single thing that is. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. See, that'll help you in the darkness. If you, I think what I, that's what I'm saying is it's incomprehensible, but as you move toward comprehension through contemplation, and you begin to realize that there's nothing you can do to break this vital, sustaining, life-giving connection between you and Jesus. You can't get mad enough. You can't get sad enough. You can't get confused enough. You can't get to a place that's cold enough, dark enough, stormy enough. There's nothing you can do to break this vital connection. Because my question to you is, do you exist well, yes, I'm beaten up, I'm battered, I'm bruised, I'm mad, I'm confused, but yes, I exist. Then your existence is through this vital, ongoing, ever-present connection with the life of God. That's why you still exist. And then, moving forward in time, here's good old John Calvin. Listen to this. This is from his commentary on the Gospel of John, the, the prologue, John chapter 1. So far, he, he's talking about John, has taught us that all things were created by the Word of God. That's Jesus Christ, the Word, the Logos. He now likewise attributes to him, John now likewise contributes to Christ, the Word, the preservation of what had been created, as if he were saying that in the creation of the world, his power did not simply suddenly appear only to then pass away but that it is visible in the permanence of the stable and settled order of nature, just as Hebrews 1 says that he upholds all things by the word or command of his power. The word of God was not only the fount of life to all creation. Notice how he's drawing on imagery from Athanasius here. Uh, the word of God was not only the fount of life to all creation so that those which had not yet existed began to be, but that his life-giving power makes them remain in their state. For did not his continued inspiration quicken the world? Whatsoever flourishes would without doubt immediately decay or be reduced to nothing. That's where I got that image that I said a while ago from John Calvin. And you know I'm not a total fan of Calvin, but he's right on here. Uh, in short... What Paul ascribes to God, that in him we have our being and move and live, John declares to be accomplished by the blessing of the word, the Logos. It is God, therefore, who gives us life 
but he does so by the eternal word, the Logos. Now, here's Calvin from a sermon on that same passage, John 1. There are two things we must properly consider. One, that we have beginning and life through his word. The other, that we are sustained through him. And not only we, but all the world. And we can behold him in all creatures because he sustains all things. Listen to that. We can behold the logos of God. We can behold Christ in all things. Now that'll undermine the mythology of separation right there. We can behold Christ in all creatures because he sustains all creatures. That's marvelous. Here's from Thomas Merton, who is a Trappist monk. You may be familiar with his writing. He says, all creatures, spiritual and material, are created in, through, and by Christ, the Word of God. It is he who sustains them in being. In him, they hold together. Without him, they would fall apart. (laughs) And I can testify. Without him, they would fall apart. It's in him that they hold together. Here's Karl Barth, the German theologian, a favorite of almost every nerdy seminarian I've ever met. And there's good reason for that. He's brilliant. He says, man never at all exists in himself. Man exists in Jesus Christ and in him alone. My point is from going, the point from going from the apostles through now several generations of, of, of thinkers is to say that what we're saying today is not some claim that's only found out on a limb. That's, that's not what this is. No, this is actually found, this claim is actually found after crawling, you know, back toward the trunk of the, you know, back toward the trunk of the tree, down the trunk of the tree, and crawling down to the roots of the Christian faith, this is the claim that you find, that Christ is not only the mediator through whom God created all things, but he is the mediator through whom all things, all creation are sustained right now in real time, every atom without exception. Christ is constantly present to and within Every atom of creation, and that includes every individual. Even in the coldest, darkest pit of despair and bitterness. Now, I got to circle back about Calvin and say it is unfortunate that Calvin himself would go on almost like with amnesia to what he had previously said. He would go on and and become quite a champion of the mythology of separation um, couched as Christian truth, this is an unfortunate reality, but he certainly started in a great place. Now, continuing along these lines, it's important to say that these Christian theologians, the apostles, church fathers, even John Calvin, um, they're not making claims out of thin air, particularly now I'm thinking about the apostles, Paul and John the Beloved. Um, they're actually drawing upon their very Jewish roots. This idea can be found in the Jewish tradition, what we call the Old Testament. And I'll just give you 
one example from the psalmist, Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. Have you ever thought about how radical that statement is? I mean, it's amazing. That the psalmist is saying, even, and notice, even if I make my own bed in hell, not that if somebody kicks me into hell and I'm in hell by somebody else's fault. No, even if I make my own bed in hell, you are there. Your sustaining, life-giving presence is there. It's remarkable. And we could go on from the psalmist, in particular I'm thinking about, you know, every time, every time the psalmist says, um, you are my refuge, you know, he's invoking the idea of a, of a physical structure within which he can hide himself for protection and so on. But, but if you move beyond the metaphorical reference there, what he's saying is that I am in God all the time. Well, that's what he's saying. He said, I am, I am in you. I find solace in you. Even in the midst of, well, I guess what would be for, 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 uh, for uh, young David, real warfare and chaos but certainly even for, for all of us in a more general sense, even in the midst of our chaos, we are in God. He is our, we're surrounded by his presence. So this idea was already within Jewish tradition, and the apostles articulated it in terms of, in Trinitarian terms, more or less, God the Son. Um, and then even, even in the teaching of Jesus, you know, you think about the story of the prodigal son. You can see this principle in the story of the prodigal son. You know the story of the prodigal son. Jesus tells the story. There was a man who had two sons, and his younger son came to him and said, you know, I want my inheritance. I want to leave, you know, and go off and do my own thing, and he did that, and the son, you know, the younger son took his inheritance and went off to the far country and, and squandered it all on, you know, what, whatever the word is, you know, on wild living, depending on what translation you use. <clears throat> And, of course, the story continues on. It's a beautiful story, uh, you know, where the son in the pigsty, uh, he comes to his senses and he gets up and he says, I'll go back to my father and at least ask to be a servant in his household. And the father sees him coming from far away and runs out and embraces him. And it's a beautiful story. And once you hear it, you never forget it. For our purposes today, think about this. Even in that story, and Jesus is telling a story, you know, for a specific reason about reconciliation and mercy and all that stuff. But think about it like this. In the story of the prodigal son, there was never a time when this younger son, the younger brother, was not a son. He was always a son of the father. At every moment in that entire story, even when he was in a far country. Also, you know, the sequel to the story deals with the older brother and kind of his um, angst over the party that was thrown for the younger brother. And the older brother's all <coughs> miffed about that. <coughs> we could say the same thing. In the story, there was never a time when the elder brother was not a son of the father. He was always a son. When both brothers were under the same roof, when the, other brother, when the younger brother was gone, when the younger brother came back, when they threw a party for the younger brother and the older brother was away pouting. I mean, even through all of that. At all times, he was a son of the father. There was never a time when the faithful father in Jesus' story was not a father to both his boys. He was a father to both of his boys at all times, 
in every phase of that story. And so I want to say, well, first of all, let me just say, again, it may be, it may be a surprising truth to I want this is a truth that has fed me is what I'm saying. It's a truth that has fed me over this season. That even in the midst of the disappointment, the loss, the feelings of helplessness, however, you, you know, all the things you want to say. What I know is that I have been held up and held together by the sustaining presence of Christ and there's nothing I can do about that because that's who he is I exist and therefore I am in him and sustained by him and so I want to say to you when you are in a time of darkness despair acutely aware of your own brokenness etc etc listen even there even then in those times I want you to know that you are surrounded by filled with and sustained and upheld by Christ himself even in the midst of your doubt even in the midst of your fist shaking mad at God still he's sustaining you he's upholding you even if you need him to hold together your fist in a tighter wad so you can shake it at him one more time, he's going to sustain you. That's what Good Friday is. He entered in to our sin. He entered in to our blame. That's who he is. He is the water of life that flows from this life-giving, life-sustaining fountain of the triune God. Even there, even here, you will find his life, his grace, a love beyond comprehension. This is why, partly why, I wanted to list for you those tangible expressions of the grace of God that have penetrated my um, darkness during this time. Because in, this, in the context of this big, giant, cosmic truth, it becomes all the more meaningful and vital when we begin to see Christ in those who minister the grace of Christ to us. That's why I wanted to list my wife and my children and many of you guys. It is the sustaining presence of Christ in you and through you, right? You, it's, like, it's like, well, that's what a sacrament is. That's why I use the word. A sacrament is a pointer, a pointer. It's, a, it's what we call it in the, in the Greek tradition, they're called a mysterion, like, like the bread and the wine and the other sacraments are called mysterion, these, these tangible, I can hold the bread and it's vital and it's meaningful and yet it points to something far richer, right? That's, that's a sacrament. 
It's like every love that you've ever known, as rich and wonderful as some of those loves have been, the love of a spouse, the love of a parent, still, they are all pointers to a love that's, as Paul said, wider, deeper, longer, higher than you can even imagine or comprehend. Those loves exist in our lives. Yes, to convey the grace of Christ, but also to point us to a love that's fuller, richer, and better. Like, like, a, like if you're hurting, you're wounded, and, and someone's driving you to the hospital, you know, perhaps. And when you get, you know, you're like a half a mile from the hospital and you see that little sign on the side of the road and it has a picture, you know, it's a blue sign as I recall, and it's got a picture of what looks like a hospital and below the sign it's got an arrow that, that points and says turn to the right. Well, you, you wouldn't stop right there and say, oh, you see the sign, you say, oh, we're at the hospital, let's get out of the car and see if that sign post can go and fix our wound here. You wouldn't do that, would you? You'd go, oh, that's a sign that points me to where the hospital is. Well, we could say the same thing. Every love in your life, as rich and as beautiful and as meaningful as they are, they exist to point you to the source of love. And it's in that sustaining life of God. Even the love of your dog, as rich and consistent and wonderful as your dog's love is, still, it's just a point. Have you all heard that song, I Want You to Love Me Like My Dog? (laughs) It's a good one. You should Google that one. I want you to love me like my dog does. No matter what love you're thinking of, it exists as a pointer to a love that's richer, broader, brighter, higher than what we can imagine. And so I hope that just reflecting on this admittedly mind-blowing claim by the apostles I hope that if not today, (coughs) then at some future point over the seasons of your life, this can feed you. And I hope that you may have the opportunity to live out of this truth as you interact with others, knowing that the reason they exist, no matter who they are, no matter where they're coming from, no matter where they are, The reason they exist is because of the sustaining presence of Christ in their life. That's what Paul said. The hope of glory is Christ in you. And so Paul's ministry is going around awakening humanity to the reality of Christ in them. Amen? Let's pray. Father.